Hey everyone, JJ Cooper, Carlos Colazzo joining you in a little bit of a, a unique Baseball America podcast, draft podcast, I guess you could say. Uh, uh, sorry, you know, the sound quality is not what it has been because um, I'm sitting on a hammock behind my uh, house where uh, my uh, wife, the school teacher, is inside teaching. Carlos, it is his house, you know, and, and using, I don't even know what kind of mic uh, Carlos is using, but. So we're, uh, you know, we're, we're socially distancing, as I'm guessing many of you listening to this are. We're uh, dealing with a week that feels like it's uh, been really, really long and really, really busy for us, which seems crazy when there's no baseball. But, you know, the reality is, is there's so much that is happening and so much important stuff that's kind of being planned out when it comes to baseball and this truly unprecedented situation, you know, before we dive into that, you know, we thank you for the download. We also just, again, in, in a situation like this, we hope that all of you all are doing okay. I mean, both, you know, both as far as your health, you know, but also as far as your emotions and also, I mean, reality is, is also, you know, economically right now, because this is obviously also very difficult uh, for a lot of people with that. I mean, we know, that there are a lot of people who their there's their livelihoods have been dramatically affected by this. And we, we've been talking to people that that's the case with. And, uh, and so with that, again, we just hope that, that you are, as you listen to this doing okay. And, uh, you know, we hope that, you know, that we all stay healthy and, and we all get through this. Um, but after that kind of morose opening, Carlos, uh, I think it's broken though. I mean, yeah, that's I mean, what we're dealing with. I mean, we're hanging in. I mean, I don't want to make it sound like, I mean, you know, this is, um, you know, uh, it, it was a week and a half ago. We were all at the office and just planning for the start of the season and, you know, kind of going about, I would say, you know, we'd already started to make some adjustments. We had made some plans and all, but when I first started planning for us shutting down the office, you know, I, I was planning and now we are, I mean, the office is closed. We're all at our houses and, trying to keep in touch with each other through Slack and, uh, you know, occasional phone calls and all. And it's different. But, but Carlos, we do, we're here to talk, you know, we want to talk, we're going to talk about the novel coronavirus, um, you know, and its ramifications. But the, probably the most important one for, for our listeners right now that we've, you know, been doing a lot of reporting on is, is what it means for the draft. Mm -hmm. And there's so much here. There's so much to unpack, but I think we probably have to start with uh, the the fact that you know there was a AP report, Ronald Bloom reporting last night that there's at least the consideration that maybe baseball just punts on the draft this year and punts on the July two international signing period. Which yeah, the reasoning for that would be to save, and they I will say this, it would save a whole lot of money if they did so. But, but, I mean, I'll just throw that question to you beyond the fact that, that look, you know, we try to report things and, and cover them in an unbiased manner, but we absolutely want a draft to happen this year. But, yeah, but what's your, you know, what, what's, what's your reporting and what are your thoughts, Carlos? Yeah, well, just first of all, as someone who, who basically exclusively covers the draft for BA, I do, in fact, want a draft to take place. Uh, it would be a little bit of a bummer. That's an understatement uh, for the draft not to happen. Uh, Ken Rosenthal also reported that, there have been discussions about maybe moving the 2020 draft and combining it with the 2021 draft. And, and we can get more into the details on what that would look like. But 
I think my first reaction to that report was surprise. Um, I've been having a lot of conversations with people throughout scouting departments, uh, people on the agency side of things. Um, and, and that had kind of come up as people were talking about like the ramifications of all of this, but it was never, it was never brought up to me in a sense that, Oh, it's coming. The draft is going to get canceled. It was almost like, um, at the end of the conversation, it's like worst case scenario, we don't have a draft. And then it was almost always either laughed, laughed off or people were like, no, like we have to have a draft. Of course there's going to be a draft. So, uh, and, and when that report came out, I know you reached out to some people, I reached out to some people as well. All the sources that I've talked to at this point still thought it was far-fetched that there wouldn't be a draft. But at the same time, this is an uh, unprecedented situation that we're dealing with. And, and there's so many wrinkles that the coronavirus is affecting in baseball, um, at the major league level, minor league level, collegiate level, high school level. Obviously, every, everything's impacted that you almost can't write off anything. Just given what we know now, I would still be a bit surprised if it was canceled entirely. Um, but, but I don't know. We'll see. Um, what are your thoughts? Uh, yeah, my, my reporting from what, from what I understand, I, I wouldn't say that it can't happen. I would say that, that where we are right now is anything and everything is a possibility. Um, you know, okay. So I'm going to back up for a minute and explain why maybe MLB would consider this. And really what it comes down to is, is, I've been doing a lot of reporting on the minor league side and on the minor league side, this is a very financially perilous situation for a significant number of minor league teams. Mm -hmm. This is coming at the end of an off season. You spend money in the off season. You've got payroll in the off season. You've got utilities, you've got rent or you've got mortgage payments on the stadium. You've got all these things and you're paying them throughout the off season. And really what you're doing is, is you're paying them off of what you made last year during the season. Mm -hmm. And then you get to opening day and the money starts coming back in and that gets you, you know, you, you get to June, July and you're, you know, you're making the vast majority of your revenue for the season because minor league baseball is an attendance game, attendance, concessions, merchandise, all that. And that's how you, you make it work. Well, their their cash flow has been cut off by this. Well, I, I bring that up in this case because on the major league side, that's also true. Now, I'm not saying that they don't have they have a more diversified sources of income than minor league baseball does. I mean, they've got TV contracts, they've got MLB Advanced Media, all these things. But they also still have they have very large payrolls both you know okay okay yes there's the 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 player side absolutely but even on top of that i mean uh, back of the envelope carlos i mean how many full-time employees do you think an average you know mlb team has when you include all the different departments i mean we're talking several hundred mm -hmm. and those people you know i mean you're you're paying them you know and you're paying utilities and you're paying all the expenses they have I, it would not shock me if there are teams that are also looking right now and saying, okay, if we don't have games in, you know, if we don't have games in April, May, June, how are we going to, uh, you know, uh, you know, meet cash flow? And again, now these are very, very, very wealthy owners in many cases, and 
they're just gonna they're gonna have to kick in money to do so. But like the draft and July two international signings, that's hundreds of millions of dollars. Yeah. And so that's why now I could see them at least considering it. That being said, and this I'll throw it back to you. The hurdles and the complications that would arise by skipping a year are, I kind of feel like I would describe it as astronomical. What would you describe it as? Yeah, I mean, I think that's a fine word for it. There's just so many complicating factors that stem from not having it as far as like, uh, I don't think we have any clarity on what eligibility is going to be like for different grades throughout college baseball. So if you have the entire junior class going back, are they eligible? Do they have another, do they have like a red shirt junior eligible season? Or are they simply seniors because they had another year anyways? At that point, all the leverage of these top guys at the, at the top of the draft class in 2020, we're talking about that goes out the window. If they're only seniors next year, if you look at the high school seniors who uh, are coming into a college situation where they're competing for roster spots where there are just simply too many players. Um, you're not sure if they're going to have playing time. I mean, just the logistics of how college teams are going to structure their roster and even fund the scholarships. I know there have been – the NCAA has talked about um, – you can correct me where, where I get the details wrong, but you might have more scholarships next year, but are all those teams going to even fund those scholarships? So that, That's the part that gets waved away. It's, you, have a, you, have, you have Division One teams mm-hmm. that do not fully fund 11.7 scholarships yeah. in a normal year. Next year is not going to be a normal year financially because we do not know if the, the, the distributions, the financial distributions from NCAA mm-hmm. are going to be the same as normal. There was not an NCAA basketball tournament, which, you know. Well, yeah, is, just think about in the kind of economy that we're dealing with right now. If you, have, if you already have teams that aren't filling 11.7, just because the NCAA says, okay, because of this, we're going to let you have 15 full scholarships certainly not all these colleges are going to get on board and say, you know what, in this economic crisis we're in, let's fund more baseball money than we have previously. I'd be shocked if that happened. So you have that to think about. And then just on the team side, when everything has to do with your age and your talent level, obviously the teams are going, at least the scouting departments, and maybe not the people who are writing the checks, the scouting departments and the player development people want to get these players in as soon as they can and get their pro careers started. But there's just so much that, that honestly – has to be resolved first. Okay. I think we, we, we haven't answered. Money. There's four other questions there which <laughs> we have to answer. One is, okay, what about the high school class? Yeah. You know, uh, when we talk about the juniors, at least with them, okay, theoretically, maybe they are still juniors next year and they're just part of the draft class. Mm-hmm. But when we talk about high school players, so your choices are, you know, you either go to school and you're not eligible for two to three years or you go into the draft. Well, how does that work in a situation like this? Doesn't really make any sense. No. Um, you know, but on top of that, okay, well, assuming that there is a season at some point, do the Tigers get the number one pick? You know, because they had the worst record last year and there wasn't a draft in between? or do does the team who has the worst record next year get the first pick? Yeah. Um, you know, does do the do the the Astros are supposed to lose their pick their first round picks in both years, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, how does that work? 
That's great yeah. for them. You can knock it out in one draft. Boom. Both oh, no, because no, it's even better for them. <laughs> yeah, but exactly. theoretically, yeah. like if you just lost a first and second round pick in mm. a draft that is twice as deep as a normal draft, you haven't been penalized as much. Yeah. Um, you know, and okay, you know, there would have to be probably some sort of coordination with the NCAA. And oh, absolutely. And but and and again, I know that the you know you obviously would have to be probably negotiate with the MLBPA, or there would have to be a, there would be a grievance. But the reality of it is, is you are talking about for the Asa Lacy's and the Spencer Torkelsons, and all just to take the top of the class. Mm-hmm. You are talking about without some sort of compensation for this. You're talking about costing them probably, if they're successful tens of millions of dollars over the course of their career because mm-hmm. if they're if they start in the minors a year later than they would have that likely at least at the minimum probably cost them four or five months of time in the majors mm-hmm. they're later it means that they're later in reaching free agency well we know if you reach a free agency at 28, it's much more, more valuable for you than reaching at 29. 29 yep. gets you paid better than 30. 30 gets you paid better than 31. Mm-hmm. It just keeps going up the ladder. And, you know, that's, that's just something that, you know, that, that, again, the ramifications at all levels are just massive. Yeah, it's insane. And, and I'm curious as to what you think the best – uh, scenario is here because after having these conversations and kind of thinking it through with a lot of people who who do this for a living and are a lot smarter than me and, and kind of thinking through all these details like what I think is is the best solution for all this and obviously there's no ideal situation none of the none of the options we have are perfect considering the scenario but it, it almost seems to me that what makes the most sense is maybe shorten the draft you're probably going to have smaller bonus pools uh, and you just do it. If you, if you have, if you're a team that doesn't want to spend a lot of money, you don't have to spend a lot of money. They're probably, they're almost undoubtedly going to be smaller bonuses given out, have a shorter draft, go ahead and do it this year because there are just so many hey, complicating well, factors that come. Let me interrupt you. I want to ask you a question. Why, why have a shorter draft? I don't even know that you, I well, in general, I think the draft needs to be shorter regardless. But, but what is the, what is the impetus in this? Because I think that if you have a shorter draft, you're probably going to be spending, you're going to be spending less money. And if the, if the entire, but that's not where you're spending less. I mean, yes, that is true. I'm not disagreeing with you, but yeah, yeah. you're, you're, you're literally talking about, you know, a, most teams don't sign every pick they make between rounds 20 and 40, mm-hmm. but, if you're not the Dodgers, there are a whole lot of teams who may legitimately spend an average of twenty-five to fifty thousand dollars per player in those rounds. And let's say they mm-hmm. sign fifteen players, you know, you're talking about so every well, we could be dealing with an entirely different pool structure. That just just have no clue what's going to happen. But yeah, you know, again, there's yeah, there's so much we do not know. I mean, what do you think the ideal situation is considering? I think I, I've I come around to, to your I thinking. I think you just need to draft these players now, and hopefully we, we get to baseball at some point this year. If you do, maybe a lot of these college, especially pitchers, pitchers on both the college and the high school side, there's a real benefit to them if they can actually get out in pro ball. Uh, and if we do have a season and just get more innings in pro ball and get their careers kind of – I mean, there's a, there's a chance they could get started on a quicker track if we actually do have baseball 
at some point. Now, obviously, that, that could just not happen. But I just think it's simpler both for this draft class and for future draft classes and for college teams if you just, if you just draft this year. Honestly, keep the same date. You can do remote conference calls. Obviously, the Omaha thing is not going to happen this year with the College World Series canceled. But, like, the logistics of making the draft happen on June 10th through 12th, like, that absolutely can be done. Uh, and I just think we're going to have to live through whatever the financial implications are with everything. I just think as, as quick as we can get back on normal track as possible, we should be trying to do that. And I think drafting, drafting as scheduled is the only way to really do that at this point. But I've talked to some a few other people who think delaying the draft has its benefits as well, but I just think there are too many complications that would come up with that. Okay, let's talk about that though. So, what would be some of the benefits? And we, when we say delaying, mm-hmm. most of the people you talk about delaying are talking about a, a July or August draft, correct? Yeah, most. I actually talked to a scout recently who said he thought that it made some sense if you delay it to November and have kids get to campuses in the fall, have the the college juniors they could just maybe play do fall workouts I, I'm, I'm sure ncaa uh, coaches would love that. well exactly that's the thing like by delaying the draft you further you further give college coaches more of an issue to deal with so november could you imagine it's like you know so how's your rotation look this year well exactly. really good but you know you there's a 55 percent chance and by the way we're not gonna be able to replace these guys you know and oh we didn't expect that our shortstop was exactly. going to sign. So you're much more a, eloquently uh defending my my take on this which is just drafted normal but like some of the are, are we talking about some of the benefits you could get from delaying the draft? I'm asking, like, what would be a reason for delaying it? Well, I think the primary reason, at least from the team perspective, from the draft is you can delay it to get more looks at these players. Now, I think the biggest issue with that argument is that, okay, when are they playing? If you're delaying it to August, none of these college baseball teams are going to be playing. Like, what exactly are you going to see? Are, are you going to get to a point in the summer where maybe you turn the Cape Cod League into some sort of showcase? Like, sure, but there's a chance none of that even happens. So the primary motivation for delaying the draft, you're not even going to get the reward uh, that you were looking for in the first place. And, and on top of that, you have all sorts of complicating factors with the logistics of how the summer showcase season works uh, and, and the scouting of the 2021 class. So I just think the, the primary motivate, the motivator, I guess, of delaying it, you don't even know if it's going to happen. So that's just too big of a risk, in my opinion. Yeah, I mean, so... I mean, the, you know, the reality is, again, there are the, – the thing that, that does stand out – okay, I want to go into a little bit more of the nitty-gritty for a minute too, which is – so right now, as it stands, all teams, scouts, all of them are on a shutdown. Yep. A MLB-ordered shutdown. Yep. And when we say shutdown, we mean that they are saying, you know, the reality is, is that you are not allowed to go scout. You are not allowed to do, you know, in-person visits. You're not allowed to do background. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right now, you're not supposed to call a coach and say, so tell me about your player." Yeah, pretty much the only thing that scouting departments can do, and we have a piece that, that just went online today on what exactly scouting departments are doing right now, which, which is a whole lot of nothing. Um, but it goes into like what, what they could be doing in the future uh, without no, any play happening. But basically all they can do right now is try and organize the information they already have, get all the reports in of the players they saw, which 
at this point, most, most of those reports are probably in. And then simply video scout the video you already have. You can't, you aren't allowed to encourage players to go do showcases and have them send you video. That's not allowed. But all the video you have, you could have area scouts cross-check other areas on video. That seems like the best use of scouts' time at this point outside of like simply being with your families and getting everything that you need uh, on a personal level together. But yeah, there's really not a lot that's going on right now. Right. Okay. And I will say, from what I understand from, you know, from conversations, there has been a point made that this is not one of those, oh, you know, there are a lot of rules in scouting, and especially when you get to international, because it affects international also, where rules are, are made to be, you know, skirted along the line. This isn't one of them, is no. what the message MLB is giving. That yeah. said, no, go ahead. No, I was just going to say, yeah, the, the biggest thing is like, there had to be, this had to come, honestly, because if MLB didn't put out this ban, then teams are in the position where they have to way okay this one team is going out and getting looks that we're not getting they could be getting a marginal competitive advantage we have to do that as well to keep up so at that point you risk uh the health of your scouts the health of players and just general public sorry players. i got a fire truck on by me too but no, sorry no, to... you're fine but you you just you don't want to get in a situation where you have to force teams to decide is a competitive advantage uh on the field worth risking the health of scouts players in the public um, and for MLB to kind of just put out a blanket statement, no, we're shutting everything down. Every single person I've talked to said that was absolutely the right call. Uh, it gave a lot of scouts uh, some peace of mind, knowing that in these crazy times, they weren't getting behind on anything. They could kind of get their family situation together and, and just wait and see what comes next. So that, that was definitely a necessary but, step. But I will say, some of this is going to be, the gray areas of this are going to be utterly unenforceable. And I'll give you a couple of examples. So you're not supposed to be able to do background, you know, on players, right? Well, what happens in the situations, again, there, you know, this is a, it's a, a close community, close-knit community, right? Mm -hmm. What happens in the situations where you have college coaches or high school coaches or travel ball coaches who are... I mean, just quite simply friends with, you know, our close friends with scouts. Yeah. Now, again, like if a, the letter of the law is, is doesn't mean you can't talk to your friends. It does mean you can't talk about players with your friends. Mm -hmm. I will say that's utterly unenforceable. Of course. You know, no, we didn't talk about any players, you know, but maybe you did. Now, again, these are some of the things that you just say, okay, you put in the rule, you do it the best you can, and you, you, that's what you do. Yeah, well, but, teams also aren't supposed to agree to deals with players before they draft them, so. Yes. <laughs> this is not a new thing, I would say. Yes. You know, um, I mean, that, the, but, but, you know, so that's, that's something where, again, but it does seem like the, across the board generally there is a uh, – there's a lot of board scouts, but there is a, a general feeling that this is the, the right way to go about it is mm -hmm. to not, to not basically make something else feel like that they have to take risks because, exactly. you know, others will, but yeah. well, let me, let me ask you this one other question with that, which is, so how ready do you think 
uh, and defining ready is really tough in this case. But okay, you've talked to a lot of teams. You've talked to a lot of scouts over the last week. If there is no new information mm-hmm. from now till June, and we still hold the draft on June 10th to 12th, how ready do you think teams are? I think most of them are, are well prepared to draft, and you could draft now, and it would be fine. Um, as, as listeners of this podcast know, uh, they've been scouting this class for an entire year, more than a year, for a lot of the prominent guys who have underclass follows when they were sophomores in college, freshmen in college, deep into their high school careers. Like These scouts know these players, and they know them very well. Obviously, they, they would like to have an entire spring, particularly with, with a few different demographics that we can get into that, that are maybe more negatively affected by this. But at the end of the day, all of them have the exact same opportunity of information, how, how seriously teams took the summer and how many reports they put in over summer looks and over fall looks. Uh, the teams that were more coordinated and more prepared uh, during those seasons are going to be better prepared now, uh, but every team had the same opportunity to scout those players in that time um, and, and have a pretty good understanding of who the players are. Now, it's like a blanket uh, increased risk with every pick from the Spencer Torkelsons of the world to uh, the no-name pop-up guys in Dakota who you haven't really heard about, uh, but are there. There's a couple of guys who are actually pretty interesting in South Dakota this year, but... <laughs> Everyone is going to have more risk just because the more looks you have, the better. The fewer looks you have, the more risk you have with a pick. So there's no doubting that if, if teams had to draft right now, the error bars on all these players would be a lot wider. At the same time, everyone I've talked to, and I can't imagine talking to a scout who, who doubts the process that his own team has, is confident that they can make it happen right now. Um, I think you get into some interesting conversations uh, when you dive further into this, such as which, which demographics are, are more risky now, those high school okay. pitchers in the northern part of the country. You. Let's do it. I think, which I demographics think are more risky now, Carlos? I think the ones, the ones that jumped out to me right away uh, were pitchers in the north because I've talked to a lot of scouts over the, over the years of kind of how they, how they do their process, and there are a number of teams who bear down more on hitters over the summer and in the fall than they do on pitchers, especially on the high school side. And the reason being is, most, not most of the time, but a lot of the time, um, pitchers can come out and be completely different piece. Um, we saw that a few years ago with Grayson Rodriguez. We saw that with Michael Mercado. He goes by David now in 2017. Um, this happens pretty regularly. So there are a lot of teams who, while they're obviously still seeing these pitchers in the summer, they're not bearing down as much because they know there's a good chance they could be dealing with an entirely different player. Uh, during the spring after that players had an entire offseason to get bigger, stronger, more athletic, uh, all of those different things. So I think that the players that, that could be hurt most by that are those pitchers who hadn't started going this spring. Uh, Mick Abel is a first-round candidate who hasn't thrown much at all. Uh, Alex Santos is another one. Nick Bitsko, I think, might be the, Bitsko, yeah. the prime example of this because he was a 2021 who reclassified after the summer showcases were over. So, again – he was seen at these events, but teams especially weren't bearing down on him because they thought they had a year. Uh, and as a Pennsylvania kid, he didn't get going too much. So there's just not a lot of uh, recent looks with players like that. So you're really dealing with much more of an unknown than a guy like Spencer Torkelson, who you still got to hit for four weeks. And even if you didn't, you kind of knew what he was. Um, I think another demographic that's probably impacted by this more is the college performer who maybe doesn't have the biggest tool set. Uh, those guys rely on 
the models basically pushing them up the board because they have a long track record of success statistically. Um, players who perform in the SEC and just put up numbers. I mean, if you only have four weeks to put up numbers and the numbers you put up were against competition that's seen as inferior to your conference competition, um, you really can't take that those statistics with the same grain of salt that you can with a full season against conference play. So I think those players are also impacted. Um, but different teams will have to evaluate uh, all these demographics. I'm sure there are different philosophies depending who you're talking to. But I think those two in particular are the ones that I think are probably the most disadvantaged by this situation. I mean, let's just make it you clear. You could also say college relievers. But let's make it clear. There are players who, if the draft is held June 10th to 12th, there are players who, if a normal, it had been a normal season, they would have gained or lost millions of dollars mm-hmm. compared to where they're going to go. Like, I mean, again, if we, if we rewound the clock to last year, just mm-hmm. go back one year in the draft. If if everything had stopped four this and a half weeks, for Cameron Meisner, <laughs> Cameron Meisner would have gone top ten, 15 probably. or yeah, probably top ten. Where would Hunter Bishop have gone? Yeah, not not as high as he went. You know, if you rewound the clock a couple of years, there was a year where Mickey Moniak, you know, we had a scout say, like, you know, he probably would have been a mid to late first round pick mm-hmm. if the draft had been, you know, if everything had stopped in early March that year. Jordan Adams is another one. He would not be a first round pick if the NHSI had not happened. He would have. Uh, Absolutely. Went to UNC and been a two-way collegiate player there. If you want to rewind the clock even further, look Mm -hmm. back at what Ryan Howard, uh, and when I say Ryan Howard, again, BA listeners, so I love it. You're Mm -hmm. like, wait, are you talking about the first baseman or are you talking about the shortstop? Mm -hmm. We're talking about Ryan Howard, the first baseman of the Phillies, and Ryan Howard was considered a, you know, one of the better power prospects in the game, you know, dra- in the draft going into his junior year, mm-hmm. had a terrible year, really fell. Matt Kemp is another guy who I could take as an example of a guy who really fell during his, uh, you know, draft year. Oh, okay, I'll give you another one. One of the top prospects in baseball. Rewind the clock a few years, Joe Adele coming off of a really, really poor summer. Mm-hmm. A little bit of improvement at the end, but you know, a, a, but but a really poor summer, and really showed significant improvement, significant changes to his swing, and just had a monster spring. Mm-hmm. If he, you know, if, if if it had been done that year in in uh, you know in early March, mm-hmm. he wouldn't have had that. Yeah, I think you can make that argument. Really, everything we have is kind of an arbitrary endpoint. I mean, the more you see a player, the more you're going to get. We could we could throw all kinds of examples out. If you had the draft here, this player could have done better. Like all of these players have the opportunity to perform. It's just a matter of how you perform with the time that you have. I mean, you could cut it off at any point and a different player would do better or worse depending on that. But uh, it's unfortunate. You know, um, what you said also, the other thing that does strike me is I, the other thing that I would say, and I would love to see, you know, feel free to tell me I'm wrong because you've dived studied this even closer than I do, but teams' models, like now everyone has models. And this is going to, by its nature, I think have to end up being, a, it's going to be a less stat-heavy draft and more of a, uh, you know, more of a scouting-heavy draft in a lot of cases because 
your models really kind of depend on having that season. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I've actually got a couple of different opinions on this from some scouts that I've talked to. There's, it'll be interesting to see how teams tweak it. Now, you could leave your model the same and just rely on the, the model and the statistical analysis of your players a little bit less. You could tweak that model so it more heavily favors uh, previous years for the college players and summer performance. Uh, I know teams track the high school summer performance as well, so they have some sort of baseline statistic statistical analysis for those guys as well, at least the guys who are at these high-profile events. So uh, it could go one of several ways. I mean, I talked to one scout who said just that, like you said, like if you have a, if you have a scouting department where the people in charge are going to trust your scouts to do the traditional scouting and go with, go with the, the reports that they like, uh, you have a chance to really have a different kind of draft um, that we haven't really seen, at least across the board recently. Like you're saying, kind of that old school, we're scouting the player, scouting the tools, scouting the projection, all from like in-person looks. Uh, at the same time, I talked to some other scouts who they were concerned that area scouts could be relied upon even less after this because their thinking was, okay, you have, if you have, let's say the Tigers have a really successful draft this year, uh, a lot of their picks work out, they do a really nice job. Well, they just realized that they didn't even need to get any of those in-season looks during the spring they relied on video scouting uh and what the model said if that happens maybe uh they decide every year okay we just need to video scout these guys um and get our scouts to do some makeup and some background stuff on our players and that's it so i think there are two there's an optimistic and a pessimistic excuse me pessimistic outlook from the scouts but i do tend to agree that like this should be a more scout oriented draft than typically well so here's the thing here's the thing a a really smart scout told me that i thought was really useful which his point was everyone is going to miss some guys this year Mm -hmm. you lost 10 weeks of your scouting season Mm -hmm. so you really his point is you really should not worry as much about what you're missing as you are about making sure that the evaluations you have on the players you have seen are very well done. Now, admittedly, that's easier said than done at different levels. Like, you know, his point, again, this would be like an argument. His point and a couple other scouts I've talked to kind of made the point. It's like the argument you could make for cutting the draft off at 20 rounds this year is that those 21st round and on guys are the ones that you're not going to, you know, you're, you're just not going to have good looks at mm-hmm. because I mean, his way is, is if you're an area scout or, I mean, cause again, those were area scout picks when you get to the 20th round and on mm-hmm. his point was if you're an area scout doing the job the right way, those are the guys you do in the second half of the spring. Well, I know? think that's, that's, I think that comment right there is interesting because I do think there are a few teams who – I think most teams probably go about it like that. You, you look at your priority guys and you work down the list. I also know there are teams out there who, at least with their area scouts, the first few weeks of the season, there are some area scouts that are checking out some more deep uh, – kind of deep-look players uh, who have a chance to impact the back of boards that maybe not everyone in the area knows about um, or at least nationally not everyone knows about. So if you have some teams who get really aggressive with those kind of sleeper types, and there are a few of them out there, 
there's a chance that they have an advantage in this year's draft class because, like you said, most of the teams probably haven't gone to work their way down the list. So I would love to know which teams do this, all of them specifically. <laughs> that would be great to know. Uh, I just know kind of from hearsay and from talking to some guys that, that there are some teams who operate like this. I, that would be a fascinating position to be in because my perspective is generally, and, and maybe we're talking about like first and second round type guys, the big guys, you know all about them. Like, you didn't need to see Austin Martin for three weeks to know he was going that high. But for some of these guys who maybe you've never heard of, those looks are going to be incredibly important now because they're not playing anymore. Yeah, and I'm going to make, I'm going to argue the other way. Yeah, go for it. And the other way I'd argue is, is yes, you know that Austin Martin's going to go high. Mm-hmm. But if you're picking two or you're picking three or you're picking four, Mm-hmm. What you need to know is 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 Austin Martin the guy we want to take? Oh, absolutely, and that's right. And You're that's a very way more money on those players as well. So, so I mean, to me, yeah, the approach that you really is to you, you know, again, you want to hope, hope your team's taken is uh, teams get really understandably skittish spending five, six, seven million dollars on a first rounder mm-hmm. without having a whole lot of people see them and. You know, again, for these top of the draft guys, these top of the draft pitchers, you know, you only had four opportunities to see Ace Lacy in a game this year. Mm-hmm. Four. That's it. Mm-hmm. Well, you you better hope that you had. I mean, again, you would think that at the top of the draft, you are seeing the top five in the first five weeks, ideally. You know, and again, the good thing about it is, is. You can see Spencer Torkelson and Austin Martin. You don't have to see them just on Friday. Mm-hmm. So you can see your Ace Lacy's, your Emerson Hancock's, your top of the draft arms on Fridays early in the season. But but he, you know, but the point that this scout was making is is like you only pick once every thirty picks mm-hmm. through the draft. And so you know his his philosophy well, on this once every is every twenty nine in the first if you aren't the Astros. Yes, that is true. <laughs> but you know, but down the road you're only taking once every thirty picks. And his point is, is that, yep, everyone's going to have some gaps. But you can't focus on the gaps you're going to have because of this absolutely unprecedented situation. you got to focus on, you know, again, like, I mean, it's unfortunate for teams and unfortunate for area scouts. But if you're an area scout who was hired and came into an area in January, mm-hmm. unless you already had a really good scout there who got a lot of info, you're probably writing a lot of those guys off. Like, okay, we're not, you know, we don't have the information to draft these guys. Exactly. Yeah, and I think, I think that at the other side, I think from an area scout perspective, if you're, if you're a guy who's been in an area for a long time or you do a really good job uh, kind of getting these, these deep guys or getting history with players, falling underclass guys, like you have a real chance to do some damage in this draft. And I think there are a lot of area scouts out there that are, that are pretty excited for this class because of those opportunities that maybe you don't typically get. I mean, again, we were just talking not that long ago at all just about, you know, we, we, were, we were talking about this draft class and how good it is, <laughs> you know, and now we're just hoping that it is a draft class. Yes, absolutely. That's it's a, too good not to be drafted. Come on, got to make it happen. Uh, oh, absolutely. But, I mean, but again, like, and just think of it. Think of it if you're, think of it if you're Ace Lacey right now. This is what you've been, you know, aiming for. Mm-hmm. And now you have this uncertainty. Yeah, it's brutal. 
I mean, it really is brutal. It's terrible timing. Um, obviously, we didn't want any of this to happen, but I think it's kind of, I mean, this entire conversation is kind of a microcosm of what everyone in our country is dealing with at some level. No one, no one wanted this to happen, but we've got to kind of deal with Here it. Here we are. How it's going to happen and, and move forward. So, you know, like we could go on for another, um, I think, couple of hours. I think we'll just, I think this is a good <laughs> yeah, spot. Yeah, we're like, stir crazy. We need to just keep talking. You know, I mean, again, like, I mean, I want to do an MILB, you know, coronavirus podcast. I want to do an MLB coronavirus podcast at one point. I mean, I, I, how about we'll end it with this? I don't want, I don't want to do any of them, JJ. I wish no, we had to do a single one. <laughs> right, but yes, with, with the yeah. environment that we are in. No doubt. Know, um, but, you know, but the other thing I would say is just to wrap this up is, so on the, on the, uh, you know, on the high school side, which is, I feel for them as much as I feel for the college players, you know, there's a lot more of them. I mean, there are a lot more high school players whose playing careers just ended unexpectedly or likely have ended. Again, not all leagues have, not all states have officially canceled the rest of spring mm-hmm. sports, but there are more of those athletes who likely saw their playing careers end yeah. uh, in the past week than there are in college by an oh, exponential no amount. Yeah, know? no doubt. I mean, it, it's absolutely brutal. I can't imagine just thinking back to my kind of mindset when I was a high school senior, like that was like the pinnacle of my like sports career. Like I can't imagine that just disappearing. And because of it was everything that you couldn't control, like that absolutely sucks for those players. You know, but um, but one thing we did, you know, there was the governor of Florida basically said if 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 students want to come back next year in the same grade level that they are this year, if they wanted to come back to be a senior next year, that's going to be allowed. Um, which I don't know how many people are going to take them up on that. Yeah, um, I don't know how much of a a difference maker that is. I, I mean, I can't. I'm sure some people will take advantage of that, but like just putting myself back in that situation, I can't imagine wanting to repeat senior year of high school. Like, but. <laughs> But, you know, but the other thing that I would, um, you know, so we followed up and, well, yes, you can go back to school. You're not going to go back, it would look like, to play sports. Yeah, so, so again, <laughs> you can repeat school, but you can't repeat school so that you can have the most fun uh, available to you. You can't, you can't go back to do what you would actually want to come back and do again. You can just do the coursework. That sounds great. So, what are we talking yeah. about here? <laughs> yeah. But so what I'm saying though is that, you know, there are, I mean, there are obviously a whole lot of people, you know, a whole lot of athletes who, who are, you know, uh, again, every, if you haven't been affected in some small way by this at this point, I'm kind of wondered who you are, you know? Yeah, um, absolutely. You know, but, but again, I, I do feel for them. And again, I, I think a way to end it also is, is, and I hope, I hope if we're listening to this podcast, you know, after this is all over, that this is the worst of it is, is that there are a lot of people, you know, who things did not turn out as they had hoped because, you know, sporting events were canceled and, and things like that, you know, cause if to be honest is, you know, this is a health crisis. And if that's all we end up here, then that would be, you know, that that would be good yeah because absolutely it it could absolutely you know we, we fear and hope it does not become worse than that yeah you know but so 
Okay. You know, that's a uh, Baseball America podcast. We'll be keeping doing these. I mean, we're stuck at home too. So uh, we're going to do probably more of these. I think we may come up with some new themes and all. I might do, I might do pod prospect retrospectives is what I've go. been thinking about doing. So, you know, if you have ideas, you know, you can uh, hit us up. I'm at JJCoop36 on Twitter and uh, also on Instagram, I believe. Carlos, you are at Carlos A. Colazzo on Twitter. What about Instagram? Uh, your... I think it's Carlos Colazzo BA. Hasn't, hasn't been yeah. too active lately. So Twitter is where you can find all I'm not, I mean, I, I, my entire world consists of my neighborhood. So <laughs> there's not a whole lot for me to, you know, take pictures of lately, except for my dog, my new dog. But uh, everyone likes dogs. That is true. Well, you know, everyone does like dogs. But if you don't like Carlos, dogs, I guess just don't listen to the podcast. So, but for <laughs> Carlos, I'm JJ. So long, everybody. <laughs>